Thank you for joining us today on the NCMI podcast. Today we're going to be listening to Derek Chester Brown, who leads Lighthouse Church in Secunda in South Africa, along with his wife Heidi. At a recent Church Planters and Lead Elders training week, Derek shared a testimony on the importance of personal growth. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Please go to our website, ncmi.net, for more resources. How's it? Morning. Afternoon. Just trying to see who I recognize here, just so that I know who I need to apologize to. Uh, I am... Um, so I was invited to share a bit on, uh, from, a t- from my personal testimony point of view, um, kind of my growth or development strategy disaster, uh, kind of as I was trying to, trying to find my way in ministry and how to grow. So uh, just kind of a quick testimony of what happened with me. Uh, hated Christians, hated you guys, hated church despise anything that was of any reference to God, it, it irritated me. I, I would phone up churches and swear at the lead pastor. I hated everything about churches. So uh, I never phoned Marcus because no one messes with Marcus, but it, it, it's one of the, I despise this stuff. And I grew up in a Christian home, so it wasn't that I wasn't aware of what was going on. I just hated everything about Christians and Christianity. And uh, married with children, and I, I'm a, I was a drug addict and a drug manufacturer and a professional gangster. I used to hurt people for a living, and I'd become really good at that as well. And then one day I have a, an encounter with Jesus. He speaks to me in an audible voice, and I wasn't high. He speaks to me in that moment. I'm set free from all addictions, everything. I get set free from in an instant. But now I'm suddenly this crazy person. My wife had had an encounter with Jesus the day before. And now all of a sudden we have to go to church. And now we have to go figure out what we're going to do in church life. We lived in Centurion. And uh, I hadn't made any friends with pastors in Centurion. So we came through to Cornerstone. uh, Because my sister came to this church. And I thought, well, it'll be a safe place for me to ease into. So we came. We sat right in the back there. Uh, Elderly gentleman shared the gospel. We got saved put our hands up. I don't think they really made a full altar call even. They were just saying, if anybody would like to, and my wife and I had our hands up in the air. So we give our lives to Jesus. My daughters, uh, they give their lives to the Lord as, you know, my, my oldest one, I think she was about 10 at that stage or, or nine. She waited a month. She wanted to see if it was for real. She wanted to see if dad was going to change, if this was for real or if this was just a, a phase. And she gets saved now I've come out of this whole background of absolute chaos, hating everyone, and I go to the elders here at Cornerstone, and I say to them, after about three months, I said, this is my story, I once was lost kind of stuff, and now I'm saved, because when it's still fresh, you can't share too much of your testimony, because there's still some legal stuff that I could have gone to trouble for, and <laughs> so I went and I said to, I said to the, the elders here, I said, there's no ways I've been pulled out of that life to come and just be here. There's no ways I've been saved just for the sake of being saved. Now, I don't believe any Christian is saved just for the sake of being saved. That would be a greatest waste of time. Then we might as well get saved, come to Cordestone, because that's the rapture portal, and then we all get raptured, and then we we go. Whereas the reality is we get saved to serve. But this was pressing on my heart heavily, so they kind of got me, they said, all right, do some courses, and they they got me connected, and I'd spend time with the the elders, and I'd I'd spend time with them, desperate to know how do I fulfill the mandate of 
that God has placed in my life. I knew when I got born again, I knew immediately I was going to lead a church. I knew immediately that I was called for something more. I knew immediately I was going to, I was desperate to make an impact. For all, you guys are wanting to plant churches, if you're not desperate to make an impact, if you just want to go and play church, please don't do it. Go run a life group somewhere and do it well. Have fresh biscuits and nice coffee. But you have to do this with an in, in absolute desperate desire to make an impact to see your city changed. We don't need nice churches anymore. We need powerful men and women making incredible changes in the city and it's going to take us to grow into what we aren't yet. Yes. One day, you guys will have the opportunity to preach. I'm assuming at some stage you'll get to preach. When that happens, you'll understand the value of an amen now and then. So when I'm talking to you, it would be great if you said amen if you agreed with something and kept your opinion to yourself if you didn't until the end of the chat when we had a, a discussion. So what, it, what does it take three years after being born again to then hear there's a church that's been transitioned and I put my hand up and say, I think that one's for me. I want to transition that church. I want to take over that church. It saved three years. And this church goes, all right, go for it. And uh, so this is a sending church that has courage as well and faith in what they, when someone says, we feel God has spoken, this church, and you need to be in that kind of church where they say, if God has spoken, we've got your back. So we leave, we leave for Secunda. We quit our jobs, we moved there. The church that we went to was broke, bankrupt, hadn't paid the rent, hadn't paid the previous elder for months. And we had faith that God was going to take care of our every need, which he has. But there was a journey that I had to go on. To go from, not really, because when I started off, I really thought I knew stuff. I thought I had this thing down. I've been in church enough. I've listened to at least 150 sermons. I know everything. And for me, I had to, and, and I, I was highly opinionated, um, the elders in this church would call me in on a regular basis and they'd have a discussion with me when I'd misbehave. Um, I think to this day, where's Barry for? He leaves whenever I'm on stage. Yeah, he does. <laughs> this is what hit me. We know the Great Commission Scripture. We know the Matthew 28. Go for them, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this is what got me, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Teaching them what I've commanded you. And there's something that gripped me when we went out there. And I realized I need, if I have nothing commanded over my life, what am I going to teach? What am I going to take with? The people that are going to come to the church. And so we transitioned the church and we see numbers start coming. And when we had 100 people in the church after quite a few months, I was convinced we've, we've reached our peak, revival has come, Jesus will be returning soon, because what more could possibly happen than having 100 people saved in Secunda? That's the kind of mindset we had, because could we grow it any further? Is God actually going to use us? And that's when the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord spoke to me clearly after a year. He said to me, I have a desperate desire for you to minister to 15 to 18,000 people every Sunday morning. You need to grow into that. Because you make the statements about God doesn't call you know, they're equipped, right? He calls those that are available. You know, we have those little... But the reality is, once he's called you, get equipped. Get read up, get studied, get this stuff done. So these are a few things that, that helped me. The one Timothy 3, 
the whole qualification of elders. A part of the, it says there's self-control and live wisely. You have to develop healthy habits. For me, habits became a primary concern. I had to look at my day. Because you can sleep until you want to. You can get up when you want to. You can stay awake until you want to. You can be as reckless as you want to. And I'm saying you can then go and get three hours sleep and tell everyone that you're a workaholic and you think you're doing well and then you burn out. Or you can sleep 12 hours. You do absolutely nothing. And you say, no, God has taken me into a season. You know, I'm in a season of Salah, rest. You can, you can set that up. For me, I, I decided there's a, there's a great book by a guy named James Clear, Atomic Habits. Read the book. He's not a Christian, but the principles in there on what small habits will bring radical change to your life. It's the small habits in your life that will make changes a reality. We all want big impact, but we don't have the small little adjustments. Read the book Extreme Ownership. Old Jocko Willink and um, his buddy that wrote the, the book on extreme ownership. On the small things, it's the small things that will trip us up. I remember when we, we started there, first month we start there. Now, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what we should be doing. So I'm bored. There, there's, there's 40 people in the church. They're doing okay. No one, I had somebody, I had to do a funeral my first day there. So I learned how to do a funeral the day before. And uh, I found some people that told me what to do. They said, just kind of follow the program. I get there, there's no program. You know, pastor, run with it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and we kind of do this it, it was crazy, winging it. And, you know, Greg said there's a lot of things he'd do differently. I don't know if there's anything I'd do the same. <laughs> and we, we, I find myself, I'm, I'm bored and I don't know what to do. And I start going to restaurants and I start going to supermarkets and do you have any food that I can kind of get for free that I can hand out to the poor? And I get myself so busy. I get myself so tied up in looking after the poor and going to orphanages. And, uh, because I thought I need to justify why the church is going to pay me a salary by being busy. And it's only when I started setting habits in place because I knew what I, I know, I know what God's called me to, so I know what I have to focus on today. I know what I have to focus on tomorrow. And Greg spoke brilliantly at, at our Elders Connect last Thursday. Um, and you spoke about elders being committed to word and prayer. That has to be your focus. If you're planting or transitioning, you're going to have a lot of stuff to do. I from changing wall plugs to pulling out pieces of carpet that looked shabby and replacing it with other pieces of carpet, you're going to get to do this stuff. You're going to get to paint things. You're going to get to smell funky because you're cleaning drains. That's what you do when you plant a transition. But if you're not caught up in the word and prayer, you've developed a bad habit already that has to be part of your DNA. Then people say to me, I'm not a morning person. You don't get to choose. Wake up early. Well, I'm grumpy for the first hour. Get up an hour earlier. Get up early, spend time in the Word, uh, have stronger coffee, do it as necessary, and start developing it as a habit. Um, don't, you don't have to run and go get a theologi theological degree, but you've got to know your theology to some degree. And I think this E2M that uh, NCMI is running, I think it's brilliant. I've had a look at the course content, and I think it's fantastic. Get enrolled. For me, I started studying. I did stuff through SATS. I did stuff through the Baptist Theological College. I read every book on leadership I could get hold of. You've got to read. You know the saying that leaders are readers? It's true. The only way you're going to grow is to pick up good books, and you're going to read some junk. You're going to read some good stuff. And that's where the spirit of discernment will help you to go, this works, this doesn't work. Church is not management. I'm a natural manager. I'm not the blue type, I'm red. <laughs> so I manage the blue. And for me, it's easy to fall into management mode. 
But part of my development had to be, how do I grow from being a manager to a leader? How do I care about the person? I had this thing the first year. People say they're feeling burnt out. I said, then you need some more Holy Spirit. Because this is how a lamp works. When you're full of oil and you're on fire, the oil burns, not the wick. My friend, you're just the wick. You've got no oil in you. Spend more time in the Word. You won't be burnt out. And they go, all right, brilliant, brilliant sales pitch. Until people literally are almost collapsing because of the expectation I have on them. Just because you're a big capacity person, do not make that their standard as well. Make sure that part of your... So for, for me, it's, it's easy. I'll, I'll get up early. I'm an early morning guy. For me, sleeping in is half past four. I get a whole lot of stuff done before the birds even wake up. And I'm a late night guy as well. That's how I function. So I can get to the office at six o'clock. And we can work until six as well. I always make a joke with my staff. And I told them they only work half day. What's a day? 24 hours? So half day must be 12 hours. You get a half day job. But I honestly feel that way. And it took me quite a while and a couple of people resigning before I then realized, okay, this is going to hurt people and burn people out, exactly what Greg was talking about. My personal development was had to be, I actually have to care for more for the people on the one-on-one, because this is it. It says Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. The thing is, everyone is the one. Never look, for me, I always look at people as it's them. You have to take every person one-on-one. The only way you're going to develop is see the person for the one. The one. Every, every one counts. I also believe that Jesus says he leaves the 99 for the one because that's how painful it is when one person leaves your church. You celebrate. You don't celebrate the 99 that have stayed. You mourn over the one that has left. That's a shepherd's heart. When, when, when Heidi and I started off, we'd sit with every single couple that would come visit. We'd have dinner with them. We'd spend time with them. And if they'd want to leave, it's like, why? What did we do wrong? It's like, no, we just don't feel that we're a good fit. What is wrong with us? Until God started sharing with me, it's not always you. It's going to be you sometimes. But it's also them. Let them go and live out. You're not the only church. We're a, in our little town of 40,000 people. We have 112 churches. So we only have one good one. But we have 100. You have to deal with your ego. And then at the same time, you have to deal with your insecurities. You, it's going to be one of the two. You're either going to think you've got it made, or you're going to cons- constantly question why you exist. One of the points I'll get to, I'll speak about it now, the only way you're going to develop is to hang out with people a higher caliber than you. You've got to watch who you spend time with. You've got to hang out with those guys. I remember phoning Ray Oliver and uh, well, I messaged him, because you don't just phone Ray Oliver. I messaged him and I said, has, Ray, has he spent any time with him yet? Yeah, okay, so you know Ray Oliver. Uh, not, yet. not yet, okay. You'll get to meet Ray. And I sent him a message. I said, I'd like to come hang out with you. He said, all right, when? I gave him dates. He first checked with me. He said, have you got the right dates? Because that's five days. So I said, yeah. He said, what's the plan? I said, I'm going to come live in your house with you. He said, why? I said, because I want to. And he went, all right. He was very gracious. Looking back, I'm like, my gosh, you are arrogant. And I went and we spent, I took my whole family with. said to him, can you host the five of us? All right. And I I said to him, when I got there, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I just want to spend time with you. So I said, what time do you get up in the morning? He mentioned the time, I don't remember. I said, 
cool, I'll get up then as well. He said, that's really my personal time. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be with you. <laughs> and I went and I spent three days. After three days, Ray booked my calendar for me and my diary, and I spent time with a whole lot of other people from half past five in the morning, had me booked at other places. And I just, I just wanted to know, how does a man take nothing and plant a church, develop a church, and when it's at its peak, then that's the guy that hands it over, and he hands it over to Grant Crawford. The timing was perfect. He heard God clearly. His, his devotionals, I mean, we, we ran his devotional stuff on, on, on social media that he wrote out. It's, the stuff is amazing. And he's the humblest, gentlest man. And I learned more in those three days than I would ever have learned from books. Still read the books. But you're going to catch stuff from these guys. Part of your development has to be hanging out with people that are so far out of your class that you're going to ask stupid questions. And I asked Ray all sorts of questions, and then he started asking me questions. Get hold of guys that you, you don't want to copy anyone, but you look at their ministry and go, how are they doing what they're doing? Because that's how you get taught. You have to be a good preacher. And I was told... Six months before we left, by someone very close to me, they said to me, you're the worst preacher we've ever heard. You are boring as anything. Whatever you do, never lead a church, never preach. Maybe look at evangelism. They don't have to stick to content that much. <laughs> and it absolutely it gutted me because I knew I was called. But once again, it would be blatant arrogance to think God has called you, therefore he's made you perfect for the job. He's called you, and he needs you to develop into that position. I don't think he called Noah because he was a carpenter. He taught him. He, he modified him on the way. He developed him on the way. So go and listen to TED Talks. Don't be boring. Go and listen to TEDx Talks. For me, I'd go and watch these guys and I'd see how they, they would present incredible content in a short amount of time. They'd have you gripped for 15 to 18 minutes. And then when they finish, you think, I could watch another one of those. Because nobody watches one TED Talk. You watch another and another and another because they stand there and it's gripping what they have to say. If it's the technology stuff, it's amazing. I, I watch all sorts of stuff. And I watch how they work the stage, how they, they walk to the right and then look left for They'll step forward and open up. I watch all their body language. I watch all the stuff that they do. And it's phenomenal. And they don't move from their little section. Because they're conscious of the fact that there's cameras and there's lighting and everything that they have to be conscious of. And I went and I watched all this stuff and I thought, I'm going to do exactly the same. Go and watch a whole lot of comedians. Oh, they swear. I'm so sorry. The reality is a comedian can have the audience captivated for an hour. They have no Bible, they have no Holy Spirit, and they never get boring. We have the Bible, which is perfect content. We have God in us. When we speak, people need to be gripped, and when you are done, they need to go, no ways was that 35 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever lots of time you're given to speak. They need to feel, I could do another one of those. And I'll, I'll, I'll share again this exact story tonight. But I would go, and there's a place, here, it's called Beulah Park, down the hill in Edinburgh. And for six months, after this comment was thrown at me, it was the same preach. I went there every night at four o'clock, and I would preach for between two and two and a half hours. 
And I'd go and stand there on the hill and I would talk. And I had to stick to my notes for the first month at least. And then I would stand there and there were all these impala that would stand there. And they'd run. And I'd like, and I'd, for me it was masses. It was crowds of people. And I'd throw out an altar call and I would, in my mind they were getting saved. I promise you, the impala there will taste different if you ate them. If you ever eat biltong and it's sweeter, it's them. If I'd had enough time, I'm pretty sure I'd have baptized half of them eventually by the end of the session. But you will never have any personal development if you don't practice these things. Practice in your car. You look like you're manifesting something, but no one cares. Uh, I was sharing this with a family member. They're in one of your churches. I won't mention who. And uh, she, was, she, was just, she, she wanted to grow um, in worship. So she sat in her car on the N3 highway and just, listened, just had been reading on stuff about the best way for intimate worship is to close your eyes. Wow! <laughs> Knocked the car in front of her. Uh, phoned her mom. Her mom said, whatever you say, do not say you closed your eyes because you were singing. Just say you didn't see the car and hit them. Whatever you're going to do, practice. Practice. You cannot grow if the only time you practice is on people. Imagine if a knife thrower practiced that. Practice your art. It's an art to preach. It's an art to minister to people. I get my guys that lead meetings to practice their altar calls. Never forget, we were on an outreach. One of the church, well, we were just we used to do Love Joburg in Klopper Park, middle of the night. And I'm standing there. And one of the elders that I'm with, I'm really excited. And he, said, he leads this guy to the Lord. And he says, Derek, pray with him. I'm like, yeah. And I go, pray after me. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for dying on the cross. And I stop. I'm going, hang on a second, let's start over. Halfway through my altar, my, my, my praying the salvation prayer, because I'm going, because the Father didn't die, it was Jesus. So let me, okay, hang on a second, let's start over. And the guy that I'm with is so gracious, he goes, that's, that's fine, you, you keep going. I walked out of there, I practiced altar calls all the time. And I made sure I had the theology to back it up. So when I make an altar call, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart and I do all of those things and I, Jesus Christ is Lord and baptism of the Holy Spirit. I make sure I get all of that stuff in and I make the guys practice it because we don't have the right to practice on the people. For you to develop personally, you have to do the killing of the lions and the bears on your own so you can take the giants down in public. We know that comes to spiritual warfare, but it comes to what we do in ministry as well. For me, a big thing is plan your life. My life is run by a spreadsheet because order allows for growth. Order allows for freedom because then I never double book because this is the reality. Every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to another thing. If I keep on saying yes to appointments and invitations, I'm saying no to my family. I'm saying no to my children. I'm saying no to my church. I know it's his church, but it's mine. I'm the overseeing elder. It's my family. I, I take it very seriously. Every time I say, okay, I'm going to go to that church this weekend, I'm saying no to the church that I've been given the responsibility of. I have to monitor my yes and my no's. So for me on my calendar, everything that's blue, I'm out of house. Everything that's yellow is an event in-house. So that when I look at my calendar, I can see how busy am I? Am I, and I, am I committed to at least two-thirds of my time to building local and not just traveling the whole time. Because you can be enticed by the allure of travel, ministry, churches want me there. 
If God's called you, you're going to be needed everywhere. Do not be enticed by that. Manage and plan your time. Please plan time with your family. I almost, I almost burnt my wife out the first year and a half. I said to her, okay, you're, in, you're a pastor's wife now. This is how you will behave. So what do you mean? You will run ladies' meetings. I don't like ladies' meetings. You don't get to choose what you like. This, she's sitting at the back there. Somewhere. You don't get to choose these things. I'm telling you, I'm called. You married me. You, all right. You will oversee this. You'll oversee that. You'll have four appointments a week with different ladies in the church, and I want to know when and where and what is discussed. Just so that we can coordinate, because I'm going to hopefully see your husband. You know, it's all part of the strategy. Let's run this well. And after a year and a half, she came, and I could see everything was just going south, and I told her to worship more and spend more time in the Word. If you're feeling flat, I'm, 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 I was bad. Have communion. By stripes, you're healed. Do something. I wish I was joking. Has a total meltdown. She, we go to a doctor. The doctor says her, her, her nervous system can't handle whatever's going on. It must be trauma. I go, she was a drug addict before. He says, no, this is quite recent. Oh, my gosh. And I was really asked killing her for the sake of the bride for which he had already died for. And all of a sudden I realized, let me plan things better. Let her run in her lane. She is an administrative machine when it comes to fun. It's her, it's her gifting. And when I started defending her, people don't have access to her. You want to have coffee with my wife? What do you want? What do you want? She doesn't need friends. What do you want? No, we just want to get to know her. No, she doesn't want to get to know you. What do you want? But a whole lot of people to choose. So her, her diary cleared up a bit after that. And I took care of her. But that your diary has to represent your values. If you value the local church, your diary has to represent that. If you value your family, your diary has to represent that. And I'd sit with my kids and I'd say to them, I'm spending time with you. And it would be on a Tuesday afternoon or a Monday morning would be our day off. And I'd sit to them and I'd go, my phone is off because people are looking for me. But you are more important than them. I had to grow into that. Because people would phone, oh, my, my marriage is falling apart. And I'd run and go and help them and then realize, but they've been idiots to each other for six years. Now I've got to drop everything, putting my marriage. And eventually I got to a point I'd be, okay, let me know how it goes. But he tried to stab me. In my mind, I think, if I was married to you, I'd do the same. All right, well, are you alive? Yes. All right, all the best then. What kind of pastor are you? One of a kind. They're still in the church. I just won't leave. And when people would phone and say, oh, my drug's overdosing, take him to the hospital. One woman says, I can't. I don't want him to vomit in my car. Prioritize your life because if you don't, your congregation will. And they will make themselves the priority. Your primary responsibility, it's been said a lot, and you're going to hear it a whole lot, is your relationship with him. And you're not hearing from him for them. You've got to hear from him for you. And then build with your family. I'm, I'm so proud to be able to say my children, despite the fact me being this heinous creature before I was saved and a difficult one after, but this drug dealing chaos life 
Both my children aggressively serve the kingdom of God. They love Jesus. They pursue everything of the kingdom. My, my oldest daughter's happily, happily married. Uh, pops out my first grandson within the next 24 hours. We've got a timer running. So we, we stoked about that. And he's going to serve the king all the days of his life. Because that's what we do. Because they're a priority. They're a priority. You cannot go and say that. They are the priority if your calendar never looks like that. And you cannot ever say your calendar looks like anything if you don't ever have a proper diary. I want to wrap up with this. Have a bit of a daily reflection. At the end of the day, what did I do well? Because we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up so easily. What did I do well? Where do I need to improve? Make a note. What didn't, and don't go there, where did I stuff up today? Just, what, what didn't I do well? Have a bit of grace for yourself. I, always make, I try and make a note in the evening, what's urgent for tomorrow that I know I need to get done before 9 o'clock? Because things happen and emails start coming through and you get busy. And the last thing for me I always put on is, what did God say to me today? You have to be able to say, what did God say to me today? He will speak to you every single day. And you'll start noticing trends. You'll notice correction. You'll notice direction. You'll notice everything that he's saying to you when you start making a note. I don't keep a journal. Dear diary, today was a tough day. No, that's not, I don't think I brought that message across. I have to force myself to go, daily reflection, what are these things? Because I forget this stuff. And then last thing, things that were unhelpful for my personal development, comparing myself with others. I'll either have pride or jealousy. Generally, it was jealousy. And if you think you're doing well, you have a bit of pride creeping, we know that God resists that. Busyness is not godliness. A friend of mine who leads an international prophetic ministry of the biggest in the world, he said to me, I work two days a week. The other five days I spend with my family, I spend time with the Lord, I spend a day fasting, but I only work two days a week. He said, because the work we do is too important to burn out. I've already said this, don't place unreasonable expectations on your spouse. It can work both ways. And please don't take to heart every bit of criticism. Don't take criticism to heart from people that you wouldn't take advice from. Because everyone's got an opinion. And everyone's going to say something about you. And you can't snap at every person. And generally, people prefer to talk behind my back than to me. Also not helpful. Watch how you respond to people. Watch how you take things. You cannot have every word spoken against you break you down. You cannot allow that. And Ray Oliver taught me this. After a preach, whether it was amazing or an absolute lemon, you, you do not assess your performance until you're in the presence of Jesus. Because if it went well, he'll take the credit. And if you bombed, he'll comfort you. All the best, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.